This recording of Tony Robbins is a special event that uh, was done by EXP Realty in August of 2022 in Dallas, Texas. There were several thousand realtors uh, in the event. And so you'll see a lot of it is tailored towards uh, real estate agents. One thing uh, about it is obviously the audio is not that great. I record it with my phone, but it's such great stuff. I wanted to be able to uh, to share it out. You'll hear uh, applause and clapping and laughing and things like that as he does different events. If you've never been to a Tony Robbins event, TonyRobbins.com, I cannot recommend it enough. And he does these events. They're like four days long and 14 hours. This was just a short, quick hit, uh, four or five hours with us as real estate agents, but it was amazing and life-changing. And I hope it is uh, beneficial to you also. Hey, last time I came, we were just kind of coming out of COVID, and there was, excuse me, sir. <laughs> and there was a great deal of excitement to come to a place where not everyone was wearing a mask. How's it feeling to free again? Even the CDC is taking it off the list. <laughs> wow, amazing. <laughs> freedom. <laughs> So listen, I keep by, I don't usually do a lot of these talks per year, I just don't. But I do them for friends, I do them for people where I love the organization I'm part of, where I see the impact. And what I love about what you guys have built here, and Glenn and the whole team, is just that you're all owners. I mean, how cool is that? Yeah! I mean, I have my, one of my companies, my education company's in ESOP as well, and we're up 36 times from the start when we started ESOP just seven years ago. We were like four times greater than the FANG stocks and nobody had to put any money in them. And so you have that same opportunity here to really build a business. It's not like anything here. You've outstripped Remax, you've outstripped, you know, Keller Williams, what they took 20 years to do. seven offers on the first night. <laughs> and they're not all higher than the one before, and the house takes, oh my God, weeks to sell instead of days. <laughs> I know many of you have been educators, many of you have been realtors, you've been influencers in this marketplace for a long time, and you can remember times, maybe not as long as I have, but I can remember buying my first home at 18% interest rate. Mm. I did, it was a home, it was a triplex. Try to make money at 18%, it's really an amazing experience. <laughs> It was brutal. Today, if it was 18%, people would be lynching the White House. They'd be going out there screaming for the day. But I just want to give you perspective, which I assume that you have, but it's easy getting caught up in the media, isn't it? Because the media isn't designed to inform us. It's not designed to educate us. It's designed to startle you. And the reason it's designed to startle you is the information age died a long time ago. There's too much information, right? I've always said, you know, we're drowning in information. We're starving for wisdom. And so today, everybody is trying to get your attention, and they know the way to do it is, your child may die by drinking water filled with leaven. <laughs> anything to get your attention, because they know if they get you to click, if they get you to look, they make money. It doesn't matter even if the story has anything to do with the headline. That's what clickbait is. But most people hear the headlines. They scan, see the headlines, they hear the things, and they're informed accordingly. And I know we've gone a doubling of interest rates, basically, in such a short period of time. I know, obviously, there's a point there where things kind of froze, but that's not where it is now, is it? 
People are coming back to the market, offers are happening, I know it's different in every region, in every, every city you're in, but we're only just, we're not even adjusting the normal. There's still an unbelievable, got a 3.6 trillion real estate market that's not, that's not selling in here. It's the largest in the history of the world. Mm. If you can't sell this thing, you're what they call effed up, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. Now, yes, I know it's contrasting when you're just an order taker, but now you have to become an influencer. Which, by the way, you will be really happy happens over time. In the beginning, it doesn't, but it's like, what's the worst thing that happened when you go to Las Vegas? What's the absolute worst thing that happened? Someone tell me, what is it? You get married. No, losing is not the worst thing. The worst thing is if you win. Because if you win a lot of money, what do you do for the rest of your life? You're going to be called back to that jackpot. My buddy Steve Wynn, who built half of Las Vegas, I remember sitting beside him one time, watching this person win this $3 million jackpot. And he was euphoric. And he was bringing people over to see it and everything else. And I go, wow, Steve, I said, that's really generous of you. He goes, that's not generous, because that's why I make my money. He said, that one person will make me all the money back through themselves and all the people they've influenced by about a factor of five. I can show you mathematically. Because the advantages to the house, they're going to come back wanting that big hit again. You know, when the astronauts went to the moon, can you imagine being somebody back then when we were worried about getting a rocket into space, we were competing with Russia, and we were first going to drop nuclear bombs on us? Most of you are too young to know that time. I was a little kid. But I can remember the time vividly because people were so scared. And then you're going to be an astronaut, and somehow, because one man stood up and set a goal, he had no idea how we were going to do it, it was Kennedy. He said, within this decade, we're going to send the man to the moon and return it on the Earth safely. And the people at NASA are like, bullshit, there's no way. <laughs> we don't have the technology, we have no clue how to do it. But that's what you do when you're a leader. It doesn't matter what the environment is, the leader will find a way to win. Two apples and screams and goes crazy. 
and you take the one apple away from the one else too, and he's naming your ship. That's the way the human mind works. Your expectations need to shift, and your work ethic needs to grow. And while that sounds really overly simplistic, like work your ass off, you'll be more fulfilled by it anyway. Because ultimately, many of you want to be financially independent, and I think you've told, picked a vehicle, no one's asked me to say this, that can get you there. If you work hard, you build your team, there's no question you get economic freedom. You know, there's different levels of economic freedom, obviously, but I mean like absolute economic freedom for most of you is available. I've got available to most people, because they don't have the right vehicle. How are you going to do that? You should have a start business, run a business. And most people think they can do that, because they're like really good at software. They're the best. Like, why do we do all this other shit? I'm the source of sales. Or they're the top salesperson, or the top negotiator. But a business is much more complex than that. I have 110 companies now. We use $7 billion in business. The complexity is insane. I mean, I love it. It's a three-dimensional chess for me now. But I started with nothing. I had to figure that out. But it's not easy, and it's not for people who don't like taking significant risks and huge gut checks. But you picked a place where you don't have to do that. You found a vehicle. That's pretty exciting. But that vehicle is not going to do it for you, and it's not going to do it just because you've been in a time that never existed. Now, some of you are new, like last five years, you think this is real estate, and you're wrong. <laughs> but here's the good news. Since 2008, we stopped building enough homes. And so this is not going to go away for you. It's going to adjust, meaning we form 1.7 million households a year right now, and we have less than 1.3 homes being created. But for years, we did less than a million. The backlog is gigantic. So that's why rents are so freaking high for people that don't own, and that's why people's brains will adjust. Plus, the Fed does not control what mortgage rates are. Inflation does. Right? So the Fed's trying to shut it down. What's going to happen in October? Well, we already know, we started having the inflation last October. He came into office, he made the changes around fuel, those took time to hit the marketplace, fuel hits everything, food, everything, right? So last October, we had like a 1.2, I think it was, jump in inflation in one month. So it's gonna look like inflation is less. These next two months, it may go up a little bit. It looks like it's dropping, it may pop back up, because the contrast is still there. But almost everyone I know who's involved in banking and the mortgage business, please, by the end of the year, beginning of next year, it's going to drop again. So your message has got to be marry the property and date the rate. Yeah. Right? You know, that's really what you've got to do. Because you're going to refinance later on anyway. And it's different than 2008. 2008 was a disaster. Who was here in 2008? Who knows what I'm talking about? Yeah, there's some mature, experienced people here. I mean, it was scary times. People couldn't qualify. People, amortization was upside down. They owe more in their house than it was worth. That is not where we are right now. So you don't want to be chicken little because all of a sudden you're going to give a gift fed stuff and you've got an order taker and now you've got to work a little bit. But what I'll say to you is you'll be grateful that you worked a little bit when your skills get strong. Because, again, all of you pick the vehicle you get financially independent. I'm fortunate to be there for a decade or two now. I still work harder now than I did then. When you don't have to, let me tell you the secret to wealth. It's one word. Have to versus get to. That's the difference between wealthy and not wealthy. Right? When you have to, it doesn't feel so good. When you get to, you might do the same activity with more vigor, more energy, because you've chosen it consciously because you start to focus on the fulfillment of the actual activity itself, not just the victory that lasts a moment. I'll give you an example. 
I want you to think of a time when you achieved something pretty extraordinary. You can think of an achievement you've had. I want you to think of something. Raise your hand and think of something you achieved. You're really proud of yourself. Did really well, really well. Say ah. Ah. Great. Have you ever achieved something and after you achieved it thought, is this all there is? <laughs> Who's ever done this? Make some noise if you've ever done this. Make everyone think. That's almost worse than failing, isn't it? Because if we fail, most of us in this room, we just dust ourselves up, get up, do it again, find a way, right? We don't give up. But if you succeed and you're unhappy, now you're totally screwed, basically. Right? So but let's say you didn't, you weren't disappointed, you were thrilled, it was a great achievement. So think of one of those. How long did the happiness last? Did it last a year when you were hiding from the achievement? Yes or no? Raise your hand if it was a year for you of total happiness as a result of that. Okay, three people on drugs, perfect. <laughs> how many, how many lasted six months? That one achievement, it's okay if it did. Raise your hand if it lasted six months, I think it's wonderful it did. So about five of you. How many lasted three months, the enjoyment and excitement from what you achieved? Another maybe a dozen of you. How many of you lasted a few weeks, that joy or happiness? Mm. How many lasted a few days, that joy or happiness? How many lasted a few hours, that joy or happiness? But the majority of you are a few weeks to a few hours. So you're working your guts out to get someplace you think you want to be. And when you get there, if you don't work, if you don't do something productive, you might do something non-profit, you might do something else, but if you don't work, you will be miserable. I can't tell you how many people I know, business owners that I know, friends of mine, once owned this business for 1.4 billion in cash. Oh, oh no, a billion in cash and 4 billion in stock. 40,000 is 4 billion in stock. And I remember he was out of his mind. He was so excited, the most excited I've ever seen. And then about, I knew it was going to happen. I told one of my other friends, I said, watch, 90 days or less. Right around the 90s, I see that so happy in the 90s. He's calling me going, hey, you want to do this? You want to do that? It's like, hey, dude, I'm busy. I'm doing all these things. He's like, well, well I, I want to do it with you. I was like, well, let's do something, you know, another time. Here, let's go this happen. And within six months, he's trying to buy his business back. Because when you really get engaged in your career and you start to get good at it, and you work your ass off, it doesn't feel like you're working your ass off when you're really good. Because what it is, it's your art. It's your gift you're bringing to the world. It's like, what is it you're here to bring to the world? My labor is the greatest gift I can give someone other than my love, and my labor is an expression of my love. I'm using my energy, my thoughts, my feelings, my time. Those are the most valuable things I have, and the most valuable things you have. So I'd like to reframe it just for a moment and think, working harder could actually be more fulfilling. I know it doesn't sound like it right now, because you're used to shit just coming at your ass, and here's the deal. Sorry for the language, but it's true, isn't it? Well, those times are probably done. And what we're going to adjust to is something still better than most markets have been in most people's lifetimes, because supply and demand is still so huge. And you're probably going to look in the beginning of the year at numbers that are beginning with a four, which is unbelievable. So you've got an unbelievable opportunity, and you've got the vehicle. But what I'm going to suggest to you is, what are you going to do when you get there? You're going to want to do something. Why not do this and love it? Or you can pick something else at that time. But don't be in a position where you let the news or the environment or other people, including your clients. Your job is to influence your clients, not have your clients influence you. I mean, if your clients are influencing you, you don't belong here. You won't be here long, because you'll be out of this market. You were here in 2008, 2009, and this is not that market. But if you were here during that time, you lost like, what, 70% of mortgage people, 60, 70% of realtors. They just disappeared. But, Here's 
I came today. I want to make sure you brush up because you haven't had it. By the way, I'm not beating at you like, oh, I'm so superior and you're not working hard. I don't have to work your asses off. But you have been in an environment where the rewards are disproportionate for the effort. How many would agree with that? Make some noise and agree with that. So I'm suggesting you increase the discipline and the activity, and you get right back to where you want to be very shortly or better and build what you really want, but also get excited and start to enjoy the process even more. And that's for you to figure out how to do. And you'll be able to do it if you're not allowing the environment to cloud your mind. Or the contrast, like the guy going to the moon, like, well, what's an adventure after that? Well, well great, so the rest of your life is going to feel like crap. You're not going back to the moon, right? So that's what we got to make happen. It's not an adjustment, it's an increase. It's an increase in your capability and your skills. And what it really gives you a chance to be is a person of influence. And I know many of you are, because some of you are in 2008, you've been crushing ever since. I really acknowledge all of you. I just know there's some people in this room that are starting to feel, because it's not just this room, it's in the marketplace, people are feeling this. And again, there's moments where things froze, kind of like, you know, when COVID happened. But it's not frozen anymore. And it's not going to stay frozen. And if you look for what's wrong, you'll always find it. So is what's right. You have to discipline your mind. If you don't discipline your mind, you're not going to be where you really want to be. So I'm going to just see if I can brush up on you on the things I think you already know, but sometimes it's going to really awaken them, right? And what I'm really talking about is being a person of influence. I think last time I was here, I mentioned my friend Marty Rodriguez. Marty's in Century 21, I know it's a competitor, but Marty's been in this business for 44 years. And she started out with absolutely nothing, grew up in a little two-bedroom tenement with four other brothers and sisters. And she became the number one Century 21 real estate agent in the nation for 25 straight years now. That's pretty damn good, wouldn't you say? And top in the world for 10 years now. She sells 267 homes on average a year. When the average realtor sells six. She started out, homes are selling 400,000, now it's about 800,000. So think about it. this woman has sold $4.7 billion worth of real estate in a place called Lindor, California. It's a city I grew up in, it's only about 35,000 people. She has sold more than the entire MLS. All the other people on the MLS and her. And I remember she was going to my seminars 40 years ago. I've been doing this 45 years. I know it doesn't look like when I started once too. I know you understand that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but sure enough, she came one of my seminars and I got dragged there. She, she told me herself, she called me to the day I mentioned I was going to mention her here. And she was thanking me for everything, telling me how she's been married 51 years, and she's been everything I've done a million times. And I remember she was in the front row, I was doing these one-day business seminars. I went to seven in a row, and she was there. And then somebody told me she was, and I went up to her and I went, are like, you slow? <laughs> she goes, no, you taught. Repetition is the mother of skill. Repetition is the mother of mastery, which is true. Why would you have somebody, you know, who's the greatest basketball player or the greatest football player, greatest anything, whether it's, you know, Tom Brady or whether it's somebody like LeBron, practicing a three-point shot? He knows how to make it. Because he wants to wear a in the time that matters. That's why he does 1,200 shots a day. Every day. Because if you think you know it, you don't know it unless you're doing it over and over and over again and making it better each time. That's the power. Anyway, she, she came to the events and I said, well, why are you coming sincerely? She goes, because in the beginning I had a big ego and I thought, what the hell is he going to teach me? I got dragged but I learned so much. And then I realized, I said, you're selling almost a home a day even back then. And I said, so I don't understand. She goes, 
Well, I can sell another home, or I can become a greater influencer. If I become a greater influencer, I'll sell a lot more homes. So to me, the secret now is for you to make a shift. And by the way, it's the same shift that if you listen to Warren Buffett when he just did his recent conference, and he talks about the state of the world and finance and so forth. Anybody who listened to it? Anybody who listened to it? A couple of you. What we talked about was inflation. And with inflation, by the way, it eats up against anybody. And so it's like, what do you do? He said, we're experiencing it also. He said, but I'll tell you the most important thing you can do. He said, you can invest in your own skills. He said, because there's no tax on it. And as things inflate, whether we're doing dollars or seashells, won't matter. If you're the best at what you do, you will get the higher number of everything. It's the only control you have is your own skill sets. My teacher, Jim Rohn, you know, Ron and I used to work for Jim when I was 18 years old. Really amazing guy. Anybody ever heard of Jim back in those days? Look at man, he used to always talk about, can you make twice as much money in the same amount of time? Yes or no? Yes. Ten times as much money? Yes. hundred times as much money? Yes. Only if you find a way to add more value, to do more for us than anybody else is doing in your marketplace. It's the most important message I ever got, because I want to know why are my fathers, I have four fathers, why do we have no food? I provide 100 million meals a year. We're up to 920 million meals now. I said I provide a billion meals. I'm just short of that right now. Okay, I don't want to live this way, I don't want my future family to live this way, what am I going to do to make it different? 
And I started studying, what's the difference in people? Why are some people give them everything and they end up in rehab? They get all the money, support, family love, capital, education, and they're in a rehab their whole life. I'm going to give you someone like this, right? And then you have other people that life seems to have crushed, or life has been totally unjust or unfair. They didn't get the love, the support, maybe they're abused, any multiple two ways, and they become Oprah Winfrey. So it became clear to me that biography is not destiny, and your past doesn't equal your future. What really determines it is what you decide to focus on, the meaning you give things, and what you do with that. Those decisions control everything in your life. And so for me, as I started looking at this, I started seeing there are patterns. There's patterns that will make you angry and pissed off and frustrated and overwhelmed and stressed and worried. And there are other patterns in the same human beings that are activated that make them feel optimistic and passionate and connected and loving. It all depends on which patterns. But the problem is we get habits. And then we think we're our habits. Habits of thinking, habits of emotion, and we get stuck there. And then they control our life, basically. And we think there's something wrong with us when it's just a pattern. And so I've learned, I'm a student of patterns. If you understand patterns, you'll start to understand life. Let me give you an example real fast. What was the pattern that changed humanity from struggling to survive as wandering in the desert, hunter-gatherers, hoping to find food, skinny, barely surviving, to having communities and cities and countries and nations? One pattern. What was it? Agriculture, but what made agriculture possible was one pattern. In fact, let me give you a little heads up. Jot this down if you would. There are three patterns. If you want to make sure your children have a great, unbelievable life, if you and I both know half the jobs that are here today are going to be gone by 2040, they're going to be replaced by completely different things, requiring different skills. AI is going to replace a lot of those jobs, robotics is going to replace it, nanotechnology. If you or someone you care about, you have to master three things. One, pattern recognition. That's what I'm coming by for today, show you a few things that I think you know inherently, but if you recognize them, you can use them consciously at will anytime. You're not struggling, you know what to do. So if you recognize patterns, you take things from looking like chaos to going, oh, this is a pattern, like the real estate market. This is a pattern. If you look over a hundred year period of time, it's completely predictable where we are right now. You can look at it not only in American times, you look at 500 years of Anglo-American history, you can see this. You can look at Roman times for almost 500 years and see these patterns. It's that predictable. But what changed the life was pattern recognition, and then the second step is pattern utilization. And that's what you want to get better at in a real estate market and in your life. Because when you recognize the pattern, you're no longer like as fearful. You see, oh, this is meant to be. This is part of what's happening now. It's different than before. I have to adjust. And I can't kid myself. It's going to go back that way. Here's the current pattern. How can I use it? But after a while, some of you have been in the business long enough, you become pattern creators, which is cool. You not only recognize the pattern, you can use the pattern, but you can create your own patterns to manage what's going on. And if you look at anyone who's masterful in anything, you look at somebody who's phenomenal in investing, what do they have? Pattern recognition. They recognize what's happening in the market, they know how to use it, but the best ones, like the Ray Dalios, the Carl Icons, the Warren Buffetts, they actually create their own patterns using the market. Pretty amazing. That's what makes them rich beyond compare. If someone's a great dancer or a singer or an entertainer, they know a comedian. They know the pattern that'll make you laugh no matter what, or most people. They know where to put the camera to get you to have a dramatic response. And after they know it, they can use it, they start creating their own, and they become the best in the world at what they do. 
So go to humanity for a moment. How does this relate to real estate? Well, you came from this, so you understand it. How did we get this place where we could stay in one place when we recognize one pattern, the pattern of the seasons? Once you understood the pattern of the seasons, humanity understood something really important. You can do the right thing at the wrong time and you will not be rewarded. You have to do the right thing at the right time. And not every, if you don't recognize patterns, you're not going to know what that is. So right now, it's the right time. And some people might think it's the wrong time. you got to be able to recognize and educate. But we went from survival to being able to stay in one place having agriculture because we knew if you plant in the winter, no matter how hard you work, you can tell people how hard you work, you're going to get squat. you got to plant in the spring and then you got to make it through the hot summer. Some people plant the next day like, where's my crop? Are you new? <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You've got to go through the hot summer and then you get to go to the fall and reap. And then when you reap, you better keep some for the what? The winter. For the winter. And if you don't recognize that pattern, you're going to die. Same is true in business. True? There's no difference in business. It's a business cycle and the same thing. What's the second piece you might want to look at? The pattern of your own life. See, I want you to think your life is seasons as well. Let's try an arbitrary number. It's not absolutely accurate because all of us have different lives, but overall, generationally, from 0 to 21 is your springtime. How hard is it to grow in spring? It is effortless. Everything grows in spring. You think it's you? Bullshit. You're just in the middle of spring. Everything grows. It's sunny. It's the perfect temperature. It's the perfect environment. That's like your real estate market about a month ago or two or three months ago. Yeah. I mean, it's like, oh, I'm doing so well. Come on. You're just in the right season, right? In springtime, you better do well in springtime, but you better also plant so you can grow on a larger scale when it gets hot and difficult in the summer. So 0 to 21, what's the difference? Some of us were working when we were 12, I was. Some people, there you know, there are more kids living at home, age 35 today, than any time in human history, including the Depression. Wow. They're like, why should I leave? I got my laundry done, I got my rent, I got meals and shit, I got my Xbox. Evan, this is wonderful. I come from a different generation. We want to leave as soon as we get the hell out of that place. Right. Who Different generation, different mindset, right? But 0 to 21 used to be the maturation period where you were being given to, like, you were being taught, you were being led. Basically, everything's coming your way. You're overall being looked out for. Now it's been a little extended for some. But think about that, 0 to 21. Then what happens? 22 to 42 is a different season. Right? That's the summer where you decide, I've been told all this crap, let me go test it and see what I believe. I don't know if it's really true. Right? Zero to 21, you know you're going to be a multi-billionaire, president of the United States, and have 8,000 beautiful men and women adoring you or something like that, right? And then you get into your, this next stage and you discover relationships are more complex than you thought, and a billion dollars is more money than you thought. And there are all kinds of things along the way, different seasons of the economics you have to get through. And there's, oh my God, this is more difficult than I thought. And you're not quite so invincible, are you? But you learn. And if during that time you push yourself in that 22 to 42 and really grow, then 43 to 63 is a reaping time. It doesn't mean you're not working. It just shoots you. I can do more with my pinky than I can do working 20 hours a day before. Because I have the relationships, I have the connection, I have the capital, I have the environment. And all those things, 
that I earned during that time. Because I worked my ass off in the spring, I'm sore, but I really worked my ass off in my summer. And I've been working my ass off during this season also, and having a great time with it. So now the rewards are ridiculous. Right? Beyond anything I could have imagined. So that's a different time, and it sets you up for 63 to 83, or maybe 63 to 103, or maybe 63 to 120, if you're lucky enough to have an extended winter. But that's where you get to be the mentor to society. And there's some in this room that are entering that stage, where you're already mentoring, that's what you're doing even in your business here. Some of you are doing it even in your 40s and 50s, I understand that. But it really kicks in during that time, because you want to get back. Like, what else are you going to do? You've already achieved all the stuff you were wondering, trying to prove yourself to yourself. There's nobody proves shit to anymore. You're gonna prove it to. First of all, the ones that were older, they're dead, your parents and so forth, so that you're not gonna prove shit to them. You know who you are, so now you usually say things pretty straight. Right? Not everybody can handle that shit, but it's the truth. <laughs> and because you tell the truth, you can slice through to people who really want to grow. And that's what that's what life looks like. So you gotta think about how am I gonna use this stage in my life? How many of you are in the 40 to 60 range in this room? Raise your hand. 40 to 60. Look, keep your hands nice and Look at the percentage. Yeah, that's because in your 20s and 30s you thought you'd get rich doing nothing, and all of a sudden you found a different approach. Yeah. I'm exaggerating, of course. But how many feel like you're entering your power stage of your life right now? Who's in the 20 uh, to 40 range? 20 to 40 range. Wait, wait. And you guys are here, you're making your mark, you've got an opportunity. And some people get ahead of schedule, right? And this is just the generalization of society. Some people stay till they're 35 at home, some people on their own at 12. So it isn't what I just showed you, it isn't you. But it's useful to think of your life as that path. Because if you understand now, how am I going to use it? Because are there predictable problems that are different in your 20s and 30s than your 40s, 50s, and 60s? Yes or no? Are there going to be different problems in your 60s, 70s, and 80s? People dying, your health, early on, cash flow in the early one, in the middle, disappointments in relationships. I can tell you, I've been doing all this for. 45 years, literally. I can't even believe that. I thought it was 45. <laughs> but I started with 17, so it was helpful. Right? So think about it. The patterns are there. Let me give you one more pattern and we'll move on to your tools. But I wanted to kind of just, I really want you to give yourself the gift, if you're willing to, of an orientation to life different than the average person who is living moment to moment and letting the environment make them believe stuff because they don't recognize the longer term patterns. And when you're that, you're in fear. You're in uncertainty. When you have longer-term patterns, you may not like it. You may not be thrilled that it's winter, but you know, some people freeze to death in winter, other people snowboard and ski. Right. And this market that's coming will be more challenging, a little bit more, but not for a while. Your industry's gonna be well, other people are gonna have much tough enough time than other industries than you are. But they're gonna have a tough time. We're gonna run into some challenges because they're also seasons of history. And I encourage you to do some homework on this at some point. I know you're busy doing your day-to-day, -day, but if you can zoom out, it'll even apart. Zoom in differently than other people around you. It's like most people just see the tip of the iceberg. You know what's really going on. It gives you a great deal of power. And what is the seasons of history? Well, there are winters, springs, summers, falls of history, where the mood for about 15 to 20 years is the same, not every individual. Like if I said it's winter, it doesn't mean it's storming, raining every moment. I live in Palm Beach, Florida. Our winters are pretty awesome, right? 78 degrees, nice cool breeze, pretty amazing. So it's not the same everywhere. But it means the overall mentality that you'll see in the media, that you'll see in people and in business, is more fear and uncertainty, right? 
So I'll give you an example. Let's, let's see how your stage of life and your colliding with history. Mm. History has its own cycle. Some of you were born in, well, I don't think anybody was born here, but some people are born in winter. It affects the way you look at life. If you were born in the Depression, you look at life very differently. If you still have anybody still alive in your family who was born in the Depression, they still keep plastic bags, they still have a freezer full of food. It'll be like some people will be wearing masks 30 years from now, still even though they're proven not to have done still be wearing them. <laughs> because they were, it's not, it's not, they're so mad, they were conditioned, and they let the conditioning happen. Or they like, you know, covering their face. I don't know, that's the other possibilities. So the point of the matter is, though, they, they collide. Some of you were born in springtime. Will that affect the way you are? But I'll tell you what affects the most. Not just when you were born, when you come of age, 21 to 41, what you enter there massively shapes you. So I came of age in winter. I came in age, just like it is right now, about to become, during massive inflation, much bigger than now, and stagflation, which means prices are going higher and assets are going lower. That's what we're probably heading towards. Mm -hmm. Not forever, but for a period of time. Nothing's forever, by the way. I tried to tell people this last year, COVID is last forever, even the way they try to manufacture portions of concern, right? Now they're admitting it, right? Oh, did it really protect you to have the vaccine? The answer now is no. No. Oh, they're saying they're protected from dying, but they're protected from spreading it, they're protected from getting it, the answer is no. Everybody's acknowledging it now. But they have people lose their jobs over that. It's an interesting piece. So you have to think about, you gotta think for yourself, otherwise you're gonna fall into somebody else's plan. But think about this now, people. I'll give you an example that'll make sense. Let's do some math together. I know you don't love math, but this is easy math. Let's imagine somebody's born in 1910. Now, I'll help you with your history. You born in 1910, the 20 years of your growth is going to take you from 1910 to 1929, 1930, roughly, right? Right. That's your springtime. That springtime will be filled with the United States winning World War I. And in the war of all wars, we'll never have a war like that, that's what everybody believed. Mm. People celebrated, it was a high. It was a fall, a reward time. Everything was going great. And all these new technology came out. Cars! And parties, and by the way, that generation is, was treated, they're called flappers. They were treated as irresponsible like many of you old millennials were. <laughs> so I notice you millennials are getting old on me, I don't know what happened. <laughs> you go online, I love watching fights with the Z generation millennials and see, you don't part your hair, you don't side, you're so old. <laughs> crazy shit people argue over things. But you elder millennials near 40 and shit, we know who you are, right? But think about it, the millennial generation and even the Z generation will fall into a category other generations will see them as irresponsible because they didn't have to earn anything and they've not been through a really tough time. They think they have. I, I heard uh, you know, Chris Rock say, if you think words are violence, no one has slapped the shit out of you on national television. Words <laughs> <laughs> are not violence. Violence is violence. Right. Like, come on. So back in 1910, what would your expectations be? Kind of like yours in the real estate market, because everything was a high. It, during the fall, everything. People want to give you a house for nothing. Everything goes crazy for nothing. Everything's available. It's party time. And that generation had no strength. And they were at a party. But all of a sudden, right when they thought they were going to turn 21 and get a car and go party like crazy and do more of what they're doing, what happened? What happened in 1929? 
depression, the crash. The Great Depression. People are jumping out of buildings. If you're in the middle of America, you know, you had dust bowls everywhere. People were starving, standing in line for bread. See, none of you around this, you don't remember. That's why history repeats itself. Because when the oldest one dies, we lose those stories. There's some history book that no one reads anymore. We don't get the lesson. Think about that. Think how tough that would have been. To come of age and be worried about your own family starving, yourself starving. Everything is dark and horrible. Winter hit in 1929. Because right. what follows the fall rewards is always winter. Some winters are short, some are long, but you can't jump from fall to springtime. When you understand the patterns, these patterns are real. You're not going to jump from where you just were to all of a sudden a different place. There's an adjustment. So sure enough, they make it through another 10 years of hell. Pure depression, fighting to keep your head above water, fighting to be able to eat. And what's the reward in 1939 when they turn 29 the next stage of life? They're about to be 30. Does anybody remember your history? World War II. World War what? Two. I thought we were done with that shit. Right? And now it's a much more brutal war. And none of us, well, I don't think in this one we're alive at the time. Maybe there's some exceptions. But guess what? Hitler was winning. It looked like he was taking over the world. He was blitzkrieging, taking over countries in days. He was bombing London. It was scary shit. The stock market went through the floor, which is the greatest opportunity for some people because they know winter doesn't last forever. And the time you make your most money is during maximum pessimism. Right. During maximum pessimism. When people are optimistic, what do they want for the house? When it's worth or more? More. Yeah, when the market's great, they want work more or less? More. When the market's to the floor, what do they want? Anything, yeah. And that's where all the money's made. But when that happened, these people now had to go to war. They didn't look like we're going to win. And all of a sudden, this weak-ass generation becomes what we now call the greatest American generation. The World War II generation. Who knows what I'm talking about here? Right. They fought the war, and they won, and they came back. And now they come back. 1945, they're 35, 38 years old, and they're about to enter the next season. And what do they do? They bring tremendous prosperity. There's a new springtime. Winter's now over. How different was it in the 1950s and the 1940s? Different universe, different attitude, different mindset. And so now what happened? We get all the vets, they get to have a house in this urban area, they're going to grow out here. Everything changed, and it was this happy, wonderful time that all of you have seen on TV, right? And old shows. Father knows best, leave it to beaver. Such an innocent, beautiful, little, wonderful time. It wasn't quite that innocent, but that's how it was projected anyway. But then, the 60s and 70s, were they the same as the late 40s and 50s? No. Once John F. Kennedy was killed, a new season began. A hot summer, which is always a fight within young and old within the culture. Because the young people never fought a war, they never had a new ship, they were sent to school. Their parents said, you're going to have a better education than I am, you're going to be smarter than I am, and kids believe me. And they do lots of drugs and have a good time. And then they never done anything, so they picked apart the next generation about how unfair they were, and they were in some areas. And so sure enough, there's a values collide. And then think about the 80s, 90s, 2000s, or anything like the 60s and 70s. Totally different values. Totally different season. Right? An explosion once again. Right? So you go through the winter, the springtime, the hot and summer, and then the fall. The fall was the 80s and 90s, early 2000s. Greed is good. Everybody's getting rich. 
right? It's like China, you don't have any apology about making money. Now you're gonna be careful when you make money, you're gonna be careful to show that you don't really care about money in China. But most people clearly enjoyed that additional freedom, but back then they didn't either. If they asked college students in the 60s and 70s, they've been asked this question for 55 years, what's more important, a philosophy of life that makes you happy, or the pragmatic skills that make you financially independent? Which one in the 60s and 70s do you think 80% plus picked? Happy. Philosophy of life. In the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, which one did 80% pick? Money. I guess. Because the other generation, their boomer parents were off changing the world, weren't paying attention. They were latchkey kids. They had to take care of themselves. They had to figure shit out on their own. They're very pragmatic. They changed the culture. And then they didn't like the way they were raised, so they raised the next generation spoiled rotten, which is what keeps the cycle going. All of a sudden, remember in the 60s and 70s, movies about children were not baby on board. It was Rosemary's baby head snapping and shit like that. <laughs> But in the 80s and 90s, everybody's driving a van with a baby on board, and you know, three men and a baby, and babies are the coolest thing, and babies are the priority. The way you're living right now, if you understand history, it has cycles. And when you understand it, you'll know how to meet your clients' needs, you'll know what's coming. Life is that anticipation is the ultimate power in life and in business. Anticipation is the ultimate power. In life and in business, or another way to say it is, leaders anticipate, losers react. Do you ever play leaders anticipate, losers react? Do you ever play a video game against a child? Who's ever played a video game against a child? Make some noise if, I, if you've had this experience out there. Tell me, who always wins? The child. Why? Because they're smarter, because they're younger, because their minds are faster, because they're quicker. No! Because they've played this game a million times. So, so write this down. They know they're going to heaven. And that's why they win. Here's how it works, in case you haven't had the experience. You buy a gift for your you know, niece or nephew or son or daughter or grandkid or whatever. And you buy them a video game. They go, Dad, Uncle, Auntie, come sit down and do this with me. And you go, no, 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 I don't play those games. No, it's so easy. Let me show you. Just go, choo, 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 choo. So fun, so easy. <laughs> so what point you think, effort, you know? I'm going to teach this kid a thing or two. Give me that damn thing. Right? You. you should know you're being set up when they say this. You go first. <laughs> you go, choo choo and you're dead in 2.3 seconds. And then you hand the gun to the kid, you go, choo 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 And 45 minutes later, you get your second turn. <laughs> now you're pissed, you're really focusing. Choo 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 You lost three seconds and you're dead. Another 45 minutes. Why? Because they know when you play the first bad guys here, the next bad guys here, they're going to see the next one here, they can anticipate. I can't buy the day so you start anticipating. If you anticipate, you will win the game. And you will not be stressed. Are you ready to
What is the single most important thing you bring to the table if you want to succeed in life? Energy. If your energy's low, everything seems impossible. True? Yeah. Have you ever been exhausted so you and go, no, man, just some other time. Who knows what I'm talking about? Or when your energy's low, can you get pissed off easier? How many of you ever had someone say something and you got pissed off and later on you realize it was not them, it was just a shitty state you're in? Who's done this before? <laughs> Who's ever been snapped at? Let me see your hands. Okay, good, I got the full side of the table. <laughs> so here's what I want you to do. If we're going to influence another person, what we say we have to do to influence another person, we have to know what already influences them. By the way, each of these generations are influenced differently. People told me, oh, those, those millennials, they're never going to buy a house. Remember people say that shit? I said, they're being an idiot. They're not at the stage of life. They might buy a slightly later, two or three years. But they're going to form families. They're not going to want to pay all this rent, and they're going to eventually buy homes. They say they won't. It'll change. Every generation goes to this stage, some sooner, some later, just a little later. It's that simple. So your opportunities are huge. But what you want to do is be ready for it. So to influence somebody else, they're going to already influence them. But let's ask this. Who do you got to influence first if you're going to be effective? Ourselves. Yourself. And with low energy, you will not do that. So you've got to train yourself to generate energy when you don't feel like it. How many of you have days when you wake up and think, I don't want to talk to people today? How many of you have days? <laughs> Me too. But if I came here going, I don't want to talk to people, I'm pretty well screwed right here, right? So and if I faked it or you know, gave it a try, you'd feel it too. I have the brand I do because I've done this for 45 years and always over deliver, no exaggeration. So if you do that over and over again, you have to be able to influence you, both energetically and at all levels. So I want to show you the two things, while well, everyone's unique, there are two things that influence every human being on Earth. And if you don't influence these two things, you can influence anyone, starting with, most importantly, our what? Ourselves. Our what? Ourselves. So take a look at this. First thing that influences every human being is the state that they're in. The mental, emotional state they're in. If you're feeling pissed off, you have the ability to be nice and warm and happy, but you won't be. Don't we follow what I'm talking about? You might fake it, but you're not going to do it genuinely when you're in that state. If you're feeling really playful and gracious, you're going to treat people very differently than if you're feeling pissed off and frustrated, even though it's not going to do them. So the ability to change your own state is the single most important skill that I teach every executive, every billionaire, every child, every athlete I work with, because I get the call usually from two types of people. Somebody's the best daughter of the top ladies, who know I'm already the best, but if I make a little 10 degree shift, this little thing, and it's just the right thing, and I take that out six months from now, a year from now, I'm in a different destiny, I have a different result. That's what made them the best, is they're, they're hungry. It's like, you know, watching Marty continue to grow. She's almost 70 years old, still crushing 267 homes a year. Still going for it, she's still looking for that edge. The other people I get are people that are in pain. I, the athlete starts burning down on national television and they gotta turn around right now or their career's over. I get the phone call. So I get the phone call when Serena Williams is burning down because her sister got killed and she couldn't get back on the court. And I'll put back on when the US Open. Or I get the phone call, I worked with the Warriors this last year to turn them around during a tough time. Or I get the phone call, let's say, for the child that's suicidal. Or they don't. And knock on one, I've never lost one out of thousands. Because even films 
tension in your body or relaxation? Which one? Tension. Did you talk loud or quiet? Did you grab them, hug them, hold them, you got them? You have 36 different muscles in your face. For most people, this is the area of the largest amount of unemployment in the country. You do the same face over and over. You feel the same way. Shake the body out. And now let's experiment. In order for this to work, you got to be like a kid, not a boy. You got to go the This time, I want you to meet people as if you were deathly afraid they're going to reject you. Now, I know Change your body, your mind will change that fast. 
This is the secret I work with every athlete, every great leader. And I want you to discover a little more. So what did you do different? How many of you this time had a different voice, a different use of voice? Mm. There was hesitancy this time too, wasn't there? But it came from a different part of you, right? Was there tension in your body? But was it the same location of tension as when you were annoyed? No, it's different. Was your face different? Yes. yes. Let's try one more. Shake your body out. Shake it out. And this time, I'm going to greet people as if, whether they like you or not, in the first five seconds of meeting you is going to determine whether or not they do business with you or not, which is going to determine whether or not your kids eat next week. <laughs> now, let's hear me out. If they don't like you in the first five seconds, everyone you know about, because you know the kids, everyone you know about, everyone you care about, dies like pigs in hell. That's what's on the line. If you really believe they don't like you before you die, I bet you use your face and body different, right? Let's see how you use it differently when there's some leverage. Ready? Go! Great people see what's going on.
paid him 10,000 times. We're going to do today. What they actually did is bend it 15 to 30 times. But what they did is they stimulated the pleasure center of the brain as they did it. So it was like, ha, ha. <laughs> Instead of one string of connection, they got the equivalent of 100 strings of connection. Wow. So with pleasure done properly, you can wire yourself to feel a certain way. Your nervous system will just go there naturally. That's why I do what I do for like four days and nights. Like, I'm here for three hours. I seem like a lot, but when you do four days and nights, it becomes you. It's habitual. You don't have to think about it. You just, it triggers you. And I do 12, 13 hour days. I can do a lot less people be happy, but I'm wiring them. So it, it sticks, so it's real, so you don't have to think about it. That's what you want to do with your nervous system. So if we want to wire ourselves, and we want to feel certain feelings, we need to go with those for no reason. Now, what if I said to you, you could be happy for no reason whatsoever? Well, that's absurd. That's positive thinking bullshit. Well, think about it. Most people don't need a reason to feel like shit. How's it going? Sucks. How's it going? Woke up. <laughs> so, what are we here right now? Is how many of you have lots of things in your life that if you focused on, you can feel grateful, you can feel appreciative, you can feel excited? How many of you want that? Thank you. 
people work from home. I move from one place where they're not going to the next place they're not going to be. Every weekend, so exhausted. Coming your way. You're going to do your best to be in charge, but no times will affect you. 
Or you'll just be exhausted, or you'll be going through things in your family, or some other aspect that starts affecting you. That's when you're going to change your state. Anyone change your state when it feels good and you're already feeling good. To seekers, we don't feel like we do it. I got to start every one of my days to change my state. And by the way, let me just show you visually what we're talking about here. If you want new results, how many want even greater results than before? If you want new results, that's your target. You only get new results with new action. True? You're not going to get you know, new results with the same behavior, the same actions before. So if you want new action, what generates the action is not just willpower. Because willpower only lasts so long. I have a lot of willpower, but you do too. But there's a limit to willpower. What makes everything easy is if you're in the right state. So for example, someone will do this. You tell me what's going to come out of this person says to me, I know, I know, I know. I'm so tired of being over late and wearing my fat pants. <laughs> you know, I just feel terrible, I feel tired. I'm, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go to bed. I'm going to work out. Is it going to happen? No! How do you know? By the state they're in. Have you ever watched an athlete, a basketball player, get up to do free throw, maybe a kicker in the NFL coming up, and as they run up to get there, you think they're going to miss it, and they do. Who's ever known they're going to miss it and they did? Raise your hand. How'd you know? You can see in their state, in their physiology, they didn't have certainty. Uncertainty invites weakness and mistakes. The ability to continually create certainty in an uncertain world is what makes you a leader. People will follow idiot leaders who give them certainty. But if you're a good leader, what makes you a good or a great leader even better is you're truly there to serve the people that are in front of you. If you do that, you'll always prosper. But if you're just doing it for yourself, you can still like, serve the alone some people and most people. When two people meet, if there's rapport, and by the way, there's supposed to be rapport, in other words, if there's not respect and connection, Oh, you're certain it doesn't mean squat, you're just a jerk. But if there's rapport, whoever's most certain will eventually influence the other person. They're going to influence you that they can't do this, it's not the right time, the market's not that, it's not the, or you're going to influence them. The ironic thing in your business is, in most cases, if they influence you, they lose. Because they're going to miss out on the opportunity. If you influence them, they win. It's a pretty cool thing. But in order to do that, you've got to get in the right state. See, dieting is easy in a determined state. When you're determined, when you're pissed off, who's ever gotten to a point that's like, not another day, not another hour, I'm changing this shit now. Who's done this before here? Say I. I. In that state, you'll crush it. But no, I'm gonna do it. It's never gonna happen. So your state, let's put it up there, is what controls your results. Because it controls your behavior. So most people are trying to work on the behavior. And that's a mistake. Work on the state and the behavior is automatic. That make sense? If you're in a playful state, no one has to tell you what to do. I remember I was in uh, Japan years ago, before I was well known there, and it was kind of cool. I thought I was going to have all this privacy, but I was a genetic celebrity there, right? Just my size. And I remember I got on this, I got this elevator with these two elderly, elderly women in their 70s, they're about this tall. When the doors opened, they looked at me like this. <laughs> That I could see they were uncomfortable. So I pushed the button as soon as the doors closed, I whipped around because I was feeling playful. I said, You're probably wondering why I called this meeting. <laughs> and one woman spoke English, the other one didn't, but they both laughed. Because 70% of communication is physical, right? About 20% of it's auditory, about 10% of it's actual words. 
But in the right state, the behavior's automatic. So my invitation to you is not working so hard. Put yourself in the right state and it's not hard work. Does that make sense? Alright? Did you get that? How many of you know that's true? In the right state? I'll right. prove it to you. There are people that work harder after work than they do at work, and they call and play. They, you know, go play football, smash heads, or they bowl, or they whatever. It's much harder than their daily work, but it's not work to them, because there's a purpose behind it. Actions without purpose is work, right? But if you have a sense of purpose, you know what you're doing this for, and it's aligned with what you value, you get in the right state, you're excited, or you're determined, or you're playful, or you're warm, or whatever it is in those states that you most enjoy, you're going to do the right thing and no one has to work on doing the right thing. So the question is, when you're not in state, how do you get there? And I've just demonstrated a couple of ways, but I'm going to make it explicit now so that it's so simple you won't forget. Because one thing I've learned, please drop this down, complexity is the enemy of execution. Complexity is the enemy of execution. The more complex you make something, the less likely to fall through. And if you've got a team, you better keep it simple. Do you know how many companies spend tens of millions of dollars to put together a plan and bring it into their people and it never gets implemented? Almost never. And it's because they don't own it because it's so damn complex. In the beginning of my career, I made things really complex. I had to prove to myself how smart I was. It's much harder to make things simple. It takes more effort to make it simple. But I'm gonna make it so simple, you'll never forget it if you're paying attention right now. And I hope you really listen because Nothing is more important than your state. What is going to determine the quality of your relationship, your state? How did you attract this person in the beginning when you both were on fire for each other? Did you go, how's it going? Good, how was you? <laughs> you brought an energy, right? How do you know what I'm talking about? You brought a state, you're playful, you're sexy, you're fun, or you're romantic, or you're whatever you were, you brought an energy. And that energy put them in a certain state, and then they did the same with you. Then people get married or they get around each other and the law of familiarity comes in. Law of familiarity says you're not anything enough, you start to take it a little bit for granted. It's the nature of the mind, not of your spirit, but of your mind. So you have to discipline the mind bring your spirit out. Right? You gotta bring back that energy. But the point of the matter is, how do you get in that state when you're not feeling because we're all there at times? Me too. I've had days, you know, I had mercury poisoning, severe, I'm still dealing with it right now, but severe for a few years ago, so bad that it burned a hole in my esophagus and I lost a third of my blood supply in 10 minutes and rushed me to the hospital for I survived. But it was so intense, and I was eating uh, fish, but specifically I was just salad fish every day. So I was eating purely for nutrients, I thought. But I like soy fish and tuna, and there's 75 year old fish, and they eat all the smaller fish and say there's so much mercury, it just literally destroys your body. It's pretty, pretty rough. So bottom line though is when I'd be throwing up and they'd be calling my name to start on stage, just a couple of years ago, backstage throwing up, throwing up, and then get out there on stage and somehow get in what? Stay. You go from throwing up to stay and then I go for five hours or eight hours, my normal seminar, ten hours, and then my body would drop back out afterwards. You can do anything to stay. So how do you shift it? There's two ways, and I'm going to demonstrate it for you, but let's be explicit. One way, the fastest way, is to change your physical body. It's called physiology. If you change your physical body strongly, radically, you will radically change your emotional state. So if you notice, you've jumped, you've yelled, you've made sounds, you've done these things, you've been using your body in a different way that is more animated. Now, by the way, I have people do this all the time. How many of you noticed when you went to greet people, towards the end when it was more playful and connected, there was no hesitancy and you kind of rose up more 
versus the other one was more down. Anybody right. notice this? Yeah. yeah. People come up to me all the time, you know, they recognize me in the street, and they'll say something, they'll walk up to me and go, hey, you're like the Tony Robbins guy, aren't you? I just got questions. I don't know what it is, but I just, I feel so down all the time. Why do you think I feel so down? <laughs> they're showing you the body what they're doing. So I feel so up. Why do you think I feel so up all the time? Well, maybe because the way you're moving. Literally, that's how simple it is to change, but you gotta make a radical change. And usually when you get in a state, you get in a habit, and you kind of, it's like stasis, you gotta stay there. You need to change your momentum quickly. You watch athletes, or you watch a team where they get crushed, and then somebody does something outstanding and it changes the whole momentum of the game. Who knows what I'm talking about? Right. And then the other team wins. They were even more skilled, they got momentum. Momentum is something that can change state in the middle of a difficult time. Those are people who change momentum in their business, in their career, with their clients. You'd be losing a client if something outrageously different changed their state and you'll get a different outcome. But if it's not working, you keep doing what's not working, they're still in a state that's not going to respond. And more importantly, what are you letting their state do to your state? If you let them control your state, you are not the leader, you are not the influence, you are the influencee. Right? Right? So you, you just have to look at it differently. So think of it this way change your body, change your emotion. Change your body, change your results. Radical. I've even had one of the earliest examples. I've worked so many athletes. I just did this with the Warriors. I did it, uh, you know, Clay Thompson got injured. Nick Lyon couldn't come back. Turned him around, went to the team. I did it with Conor McGregor after he was shut down for almost a year. But the first person I ever worked with in this area who was a sports star was Andre Agassi. Anybody remember Andre Agassi's testimony? And I'll never forget, I'll give you an example. Andre was, at the time, he was dating when we eventually married Brooke Shields and then he got divorced. But he was really having a tough time. He actually later wrote in his book, his autobiography, that he was considered quitting. His dad was his coach. They were going through this really intense time. He was having changes going on in his body as well, losing his hair. So that hair he used to see was fake. Right? Nobody knew it. He was afraid that somebody find out. And he was frustrated. He got injured. And so he's in this place where nothing's working. Who's been in that place? Who's been stuck? You know what I'm talking about? Right. Stuck today? Totally stuck. So Brooke says, you should go see Tony Robbins. He's like, and Andre's, by the way, normally one of the nicest guys in the world, but when you get in a pissed off state, you don't act very decently. He's like, I don't even know, I don't even motivation. She says, he's not a motivator, he's a strategist. He'll show you what's going on in your body, it's affecting your mind, your emotions, your performance is the best in the world. So she finally convinces him. So he comes to my house, he walks in, shakes my hand, sits down on my couch and goes, do your shit. <laughs> And I looked at him, and I said, Andre, I said, you're in my home, and I don't do shit. And I said, well, let's start with your attitude before we do anything else. I said, if you want to work with me, I'm happy to work with you. I'm not going to take all the answers, but in the state you're in, you're not going to get any answers. It's like, oh, I don't mean to be disrespectful. I said, no, you're being disrespectful to yourself. Because you allowed yourself to get in the habit of being pissed off about everything. And nothing improves in that habit. How many girls about being improves in that habit? Right. So, I said, here's what I'm going to do, so I'll show you what we're going to do. So I'm going to show you a couple of video tapes. Now this is, when we used to have those VCRs, and everybody always had a VCR. So, and one of those VCRs, and you have to finish stick the tape in and play it. So I stuck this little tape in, and it's him when it won Wimbledon. And by the way, he dropped to like, I think it was 19th in the world, and he'd been number one. And in it, I said, I want you to just look, I explained this physiology thing, and focus. And I said, let's just start with your body. I want you to notice what you're like. And he walks out the court like this, like he's frowning. Like you can just feel it when he walks out of the court. He 
looks at the other guy's side, bounces the ball, bounces the ball, looks at the guy like this. And then in those days, he was wearing his cap before the game, you know, warming up, and he had a big ponytail. So time we had this thing called hair. And all of a sudden, he looks at the guy like this, and he goes, watch the video, he starts to smile from ear to ear. And I go, do you remember that moment? He goes, oh, I remember that moment. I said, okay, look at how you walked out. It's like you're prowling, like you're over, like you bounce the ball. I said, what's the shit? He said, I don't know, just good. <laughs> and I said, now, let's talk about the second piece that controls your state, your focus. Can you remember that moment? He goes, yeah. I said, what were you focusing on in that moment? When you did that, looked at him, he goes, I just remember the last time I beat him, I thought, I'm going to destroy you. Pretty cool. I go, okay, great. Remember that. Let's compare it. Take out the videotape. I put a videotape at the French Open where he was annihilated. And he walks out of the court literally like this. I'm not going to exaggerate. He looks like this. He's like, This is the look on his face. Sees the guy on the other side, bounces the ball, looks at the guy and throws it right like this. <laughs> I said, Do you remember that moment? He goes, I'll never forget that moment. I said, Who is this, this guy that walked out here? I said, It looked like, I don't know, somebody from Three's Company or some shit. I don't know. <laughs> I can't remember his name. I said, that, that's horrible. I said, you remember you're focusing on him? He goes, yeah, I remember the last time you beat him and thought, I can't go through this again. So he, all I did was teach him how to walk differently, snap his piece, and go. And every time he did it, boom, he became number one within two months. He won five in a row. He was number two in one before five, five in a row. He was back at number one that fast. And he gave me public credit. Maybe too much credit. Maybe not. Uh.
president, you're not.
Are there millions of things you could be excited or grateful for at any moment if you really wanted to be? The answer is yes. Are there millions of things to be pissed off or worried about? The answer is yes. Where are you going to put your focus? Your focus controls your state. If you're supposed to meet your husband or wife at 7 o'clock at night, your boyfriend or girlfriend at 7 o'clock at night for dinner, you get there at 7 and they're not there, what do you feel? Shout it out. What do you feel? What do you feel now? She said anxious. Someone said pissed off. Angry. Only seven, jeez. <laughs> Some people jump to conclusions here. I'm already worried, and it's seven. Oh, shit, I'm not here. They didn't hear it five or seven. That's so good, good, good. What if it is now 7.30, they've not called, not showed up, now what do you feel? Really angry, really worried. I've heard both ends. What if it's 8.30, you've been there since 7, they've not shown up, what are you feeling? Full, 38. When he says full, I'm not wasting full, yes. <laughs> now, here's the question, though, honestly. What determines whether you're angry or worried? Is it anything to do with your partner all the time? No. No, some people at 8.30 are more worried, some people at 8.30 are more pissed off. That's right, it's whatever you focus on, and it's the meaning you do. If you're focusing on, they're probably screwing around like they always do, they're screwing around with somebody else! If you imagine that in your mind, whatever you imagine in your mind, you're going to feel. I don't focus equals feeling. Whatever you focus on, you're going to feel, even if it's not true. Because it'll feel true to you when you focus on it. Have you ever had someone tell you something like Johnny or Mary is talking behind your back? And Johnny brings a friend of yours, you go, no, they're not. No, they're not. That's not. And then two people, yeah, they do, just talk behind your back. You think they're your friend. And the part of you's like, are you kidding me? And then you're mad. And then later on you find out they really didn't talk behind your back, you feel like an idiot. Who's ever had an experience like this before? Right? So just gotta remember, if you don't control your focus, whatever you focus on, you're gonna feel. Who's ever been worried about something that was gonna really destroy your relationship or your life, and you felt terrible and sick about it, and it never happened? Who's had this happen? Say ah. Uh, uh, How many have had this many times? Say ah. Uh, Maybe adopt a different approach. A coward dies a million deaths, a courageous person wants. Why wait? Well, if it's really going to be the worst thing, then you handle it then. But living in fear doesn't help you in any way. That's what people are doing in the marketplace. You can't be one of them if you're going to leave. You've got to be in a different state that needs a different focus. Right? So focus equals feeling. Focus is what's going to determine and control where you go, what you experience. And the second one is what does it mean? That's the second decision. Is this the end of the beginning? Is this the end of the real estate market? Hell no. It's the beginning. Is this the end of your relationship or the beginning? If you think it's the end, you're going to treat the person like it's the end. I always tell people, if you think it's the end of the relationship, treat them like it's the beginning and it won't be the end. Wow. Because in the beginning, what were you focused on? Meeting all of their needs, weren't you? You were lit up by helping them feel great. It wasn't me or training or measuring and shit. It wasn't a swap. Right? It wasn't a sale. It was just giving because it made you feel good. Right? So meanings. Is someone disrespecting me or are they challenging me or are they coaching me or are they actually loving me? If you think they're dissing you, you're going to have a totally different reaction than if you think they're coaching you or actually loving you. And we're the ones that control the meanings. And whatever meaning you create produces the emotion of your life. If someone's dissing you, you're going to be angry. If someone's loving you, you're going to be appreciative. Somebody's angry is going to behave. That's the third decision. What are you going to do? They're going to behave differently if they're angry than if they're feeling appreciative. So your whole life is controlled by these three decisions. You're making them all the time, and unfortunately, they're made unconsciously for most of you, meaning they're being made by habit. 
You've been debating long enough here. You're deciding what to focus on, which is causing you to feel a certain way. You're giving certain meanings to what I'm saying. And at some level, you're deciding what to do or not do. And your entire experience is controlled by that. So our state, if you throw that back up there for a second, that's everything. And what you've got to do is get in the habit of putting yourself in the right physiology and the right focus to do it. And by the way, can you change a client's focus? Yeah. yeah. What's the easiest way to try to break a client's pattern and change their focus? Certainty. Ask them a question. question. If you ask them a question in order to answer it, they have to think about what you've asked. It will break the pattern of what they're thinking about before. And if you ask certain questions, they're even more dynamic than others. Let's try something just for a moment. Take a deep breath in, exhale, and moan. Do <laughs> another deep breath in, this time moan like a sexual moan. Really enjoy it, right? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> 
something you're really excited about? Could even be national. What's something you're really, you're excited about? You're really excited about something. How do you breathe when you're really excited? Focus. What do you focus on when you're excited? What do you see? What do you imagine? What do you focus on? How do you breathe when you're really excited? What's the look on your face when you're really excited? Take the sound you make when you're really excited. Extension. 
So here's my question. Yeah. Most of you, if you're honest, are six or seven. I know there's plenty of exceptions in this room. I'm just like day to day. I know you get yourself there. But day to day, but what we want to do is find our center of gravity higher. Because here's my question. Would you ever really date a six? Come on. <laughs> Would you ever want to do business with a six? A six is a parent. Are they going to do a great job as a parent? Hell no. So you got to measure it. Now, some of you might think, well, Tony, this is interesting, but how do I do that with a client? So I'll give you a, a powerful example from history. I'm into history, you probably figure out. And I got a phone call years ago when President George W. Bush, Elder Bush, not H.W., not W, H.W., the older, calls me up. He is now President of the United States. And he says, Tony, now that the wall is falling in Germany, he said, I really want to talk to you because we're bringing a group of leaders together from all around the world from France, Mr. Mitterrand, um, Maggie Thatcher from England, myself, and he went through the whole list. He said, Mr. Gorbachev, and he said, we're going to talk about where does the world go from here? Now the communism is dropping, you know, what are we going to do? What are the values going to make difference? And we put together a group of 100 people for two and a half days, and we're going to discuss what are the most important ways to help shape the world. And he goes, I'm calling you personally because you're one of the 100. I was only like 32 years old at the time. I was like, holy cow. And he's like, can you come? I'm like, no. <laughs> I said, I'm in. I didn't know the calendar date was. I'm in, right? And he says, great. He goes, Tony, where will you be right before I gave you the date? So I looked on the calendar. I said, I'll be in New York. He goes, I heard that. I heard you were there. He said, I want to ask you a favor if it's possible. He said, you know, Mr. Gorbachev no longer has the support. It's not the Soviet Union anymore. It's Russia. And they don't support him. And so he'd have to fly commercially. I understand you're on a private plane. Would you be able to fly him and his team with you to the meeting? Since you'll be in the other anyway. I said, absolutely. Right? And then I call him back and I said, could I ask a favor? I said, would you ask Mr. Gorbachev, I have a group of kids here in Texas, in Houston, that I've been sponsoring their, 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 their graduation, sponsoring their college education. I started with them in grade school, took them through junior high, high, and now I'm in college. And I'd love it if I could just film a 10-minute interview with him talking to them about where the world is. It'd be really special to them. So he calls up, Gorbachev's office says, no problem, 10 minutes will do it. So then they call me back and tell me the size of his party. Now those days, you know, today unfortunately I own a 737, I could have put them all on it. Back then I was chartering, and I was chartering little, you know, uh, what do you call it, these little five, six passenger planes. So I had to run a Gulfstream to get them all on there, and that was a lot of money for me back then. So I could have spent 40 grand or 50 grand to pay on this, but hey, I got a ticket to history, I'm gonna hang out with Gorbachev for three and a half hours, and I'm interested, like, I want to know what ended the Cold War. Some of you don't even remember, but the problems we have today are nothing compared to them. One button push and the whole world could be over back then. And so, bottom line is, I turn around and he says, yeah, I'll do it, so I charter the damn plane, and I'm waiting for Gorbachev, I got the camera crew there, we're excited, I'm gonna have this for my kids, I'm cool to have Gorbachev talking to my kids, right? If you're in Houston. And sure enough, three limousines pull up, all the security people, Gorbachev comes up, shakes my hand, and then I said, Mr. Gorbachev, his translator's there, so we're going to do this quick interview right here. And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, he says, no, no, no. But he said it really intensely. And I was like, uh, sir, could we make this arrangements in advance? Can we explain to Mr. Gorbachev? He goes, he just has a massive headache. He's not going to do it. I'm thinking, holy shit, I spent 40 grand, and I'm not even going to get a little video for the kids. I'm in the face. <laughs> so he gets on the plane. 
plane, he gets on with his wife and his staff, and I got this big plane for them all, and they sit down there, and he immediately closes his eyes. I thought I'd have this conversation with him, not even a conversation, so expectation, right? So, Rachel, his wife is there, and so I start talking to her, and then I think to myself, I know I'm going to engage. I'll get his wife to say something he disagrees with. All men will do this and open his eyes and his eyes. So I asked her about how it was now in Russia versus the Soviet Union, and how they, you know, they stopped supporting him, and also the open eye, but everybody starts the guy starts translating. And he's like, no, no, that's not so, you know, this is this and that's that. And I said, oh, Mr. Jeff, I'm so glad you're awake. I said, because I just have one burning question I've got to ask you. I understand you couldn't do the video, but I want to know the answer, because I'm a student of history, and you are a creator of history. I said, the most difficult time in humanity's lifetime that we're aware of, at least modern times, has been the Cold War and you helped end it. I said, I want to know what ended the Cold War. And he started speaking, and by the rhythm he was speaking, now I could see he does understand what I was saying to some extent. And he does, he understands a lot more than he lets on to. But the way he was speaking, you know when someone has said something many times, there's a rhythm to it. You can, you can read it. It's, so, and then the guy was translating what the guy basically said. Well, he said it was really the end of demonization. He said, Reagan was talking about us as the evil empire, and I was talking to him about the evils of capitalism, and he was lecturing me, and I said, you will not lecture me. He said, you know, I am not your student. He said, I got really angry in the middle of this whole thing. And at some point, he said, I could feel my, my, my head was hot. I was, I was mad, I was angry. And he goes, so, but we eventually worked it out, and in the end, we learned to trust each other. It was the end of demonization that did it. I said, well, Scorch Chocolate said, I really appreciate you sharing that with me, and you've obviously shared that with others. I haven't heard it before, but I'm looking for something slightly different. I know that everything is based on moments when people get in certain states and they make certain decisions. And somehow, you and Reagan got from really angry to something else. I wonder what's the moment that changes history? What's the moment in the Cold War? I understand the concept and the demonization, but what's the moment? What happened that made you not be demonizing each other? He said, no one's asked me that question before. I said, good. <laughs> and so he laughed and he thought for a while and thought for a while. He really thought for two or three minutes, he was silent. And all of a sudden he starts giggling, and then he starts smacking his leg and laughing to himself. And he goes, I will tell you, the translator, I will tell you. He goes, we were having this argument. He said, like I told you, Reagan was lecturing me on the evils of communism, and I was telling him about the evils of capitalism. They were getting more and more angry, and it was getting hot and angry and mad. He said, all of a sudden, he said, Reagan just stood up in the middle of the conversation and said, this is not working. And then he turned and walked away, walked five steps, and then he flipped around with a smile on his face and go, can we start fresh? <laughs> I think it's Anger, he said. We started to become friends. 
He said he just created an opening. And that's what ended the demonization. Two people, one changing the other state at the peak of upset. When it could have ended with, screw you, I'm going to push the button, or screw you, go to hell, we'll never talk to you. And the cool thing is, he said, then Reagan followed up and understood about him, just like you understand your client. You understand what your client loves, what they hate, what excites them, what they fear. I always tell people, you wonder what life is? It's the dance between what people desire most and what they fear most. That's where they live. If you know what they desire most and fear most, you can meet their needs. If you don't, you're flying blind. It's not just the house. It's the emotion. It's the vision. It's the dream. It's what they want. That's what they don't want. You got to know both. And he said, Reagan really understood that I love children, and he did something he never done. He brought over 35 American children, put them in my custody for a week, and let me take them about the Soviet Union. Because I never forgot that. Years later, I got to meet Reagan, work with Reagan. I've had a ticket history for a while. And I asked him the exact same question. He said, the demonization. They both had said this before. But I asked him the moment, but he gave me a different moment. He gave me when they were in Iceland. And he said they were negotiating back and forth, and it was the same thing, getting really heated. He said Mr. Gorbachev's scar was like thumping like this, and like he was really getting angry, right? And he goes, in the middle of it, I stood up and said, let's go for a walk. And he said, Mr. Gorbachev's translator is like, a walk? You know, like, what? It's freezing ass outside. This is an Iceland, right? He said, yeah, let's go for a walk. Now think of the genius in this. You're at this kind of mode like this. Right? At any moment, somebody slips and hurts the other person. Instead, he goes, let's go for a walk. So what's happened? Instead of walked in across the table fighting, they're now walking side by side. They have to put on their coats. They have to change their physiology. They walk outside. It's freezing. Temperature change. And on that walk, Reagan said they made the agreement for the first time in human history to destroy some nuclear arms, long-range nuclear arms that never happened before in history. Was, that is when it really ended. That's when we knew had that relationship. So they both had moments where they're both driven by Reagan changing Gorbachev's state. state. Which is, if it works for history, then it works for your sales. <laughs>
Well, you got to know what happens even before you open your mouth. So what influences people before you open your mouth? When you look. Well, your state certainly does, but even before you arrive on the location, your brand. The question is, do you have a brand? Are you building a brand? Do you know what your brand is? Because your brand, the right brand, for a brand, people get on their knees and some love and reach behind something else to get a good goal. And they're proud of it. And some of you old enough to remember when they came up with this idea of a new coke, and it was a total disaster. So who's old enough to remember that? It's a disaster. Because they didn't understand that people who like coke were traditionalists. They were pissed off, they lost a ton of money. A little company called Pepsi was beating them with the Pepsi generation, the new generation, youth and energy. Older people bought it to feel young. So Michael Jackson's hair caught a fire kind of messed up the whole thing. Kind of screwed up their kind of momentum, I guess. But the point of the matter is, you've got to know your client. You've got to know what they need. You've got to know a brand that's consistent. Brands have power. Ladies, hold up your purse for a second for me, if you can. Hold up your purse. Definitely not. 
So, what do you want about this place? Uh, how convenient. How convenient. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, here's a convenient one. Take this one instead. Look how convenient that is. It's even lighter. And, and look at this. It's got more room in it. It's got more shit in the door. It's even cheaper than this one. Yeah, it's much lighter than what we're talking about. 
free. Hands are free. Very interesting. So, what did you get for this person? I want more. What's that? I want more. 
want more? I want a better car. I want a better car. What's your next car? Uh, Ferrari. Okay. And which Ferrari do you want? What are you going to spend on? Uh, an A12, which is about $800,000. $800,000. So once again, he's very pragmatic. <laughs> How many miles do you drive to you? I've had it for three years, and I think I have 7,000 miles. <laughs> So it really needs this car. It's really important. <laughs> it's important to spend any hundred thousand dollars on this car, right? Now, who here has, who's a man who has an inexpensive car but you absolutely love? Who's got an inexpensive car but you absolutely love? I'm looking for a gentleman like that. Okay, yes, sir. Give him a hand. Give him a hand. Thank <laughs> you. 
was a brand. It was a yes or no. But your personal brand is also Because you got EXP, but then there's you. Honestly, EXP is supposed to be you for those people. EXP is Right, that's the truth. So it's your job to build that brand. So what creates it? How powerful is it? Well, some brands are so powerful that when you think of the category, you think of the company. That's pretty wild. Let's try something. Figure out your pen or what you're scribbling with and just write down the answers to these three questions. Go fast. Don't share with your buddy. I want you to think of a soda drink that first soda drink you think of. Carbonated beverage, the first one you think of, you think of one. Write it down. Don't say it, just write it down. Carbonated beverage, first one pops in mind. Then I want you to think of a computer company, a big computer company, first one that pops in your mind. And then I want you to think of a search engine, first one that pops in your mind right now. Search engine. You're searching for something online. When you get those three written down, look up signifying the fact you've completed the first step. So there's my question. Throw it up on the screen. How many of you, when I said soda drink, thought of Coca Cola? Raise your hand if you thought of Coca Cola. Keep your hands up and look around the room. Look at the percentage room. It's 98% of the room. There are three dozen beverage companies in the a big names, there's obviously more than that. Three dozen, 36, and 98.75 one company. This company has a simple goal. It's to have so much fluid that you consume each day, be them, which is 95% of what you consume, including their water. Wow. Half this company. This company's been better than anybody on earth. In fact, People hate it when they'll say, can I have a Coke? When they don't really mean Coca-Cola, it could be a Pepsi, it could be anything, but Coke is the word they use for the category. That really pisses you off when you're Pepsi. Yeah. <laughs> how many thought, second, computer company, how many thought of Apple computer? Raise your hand if you thought of Apple. Mm. Put it up there, raise your hand, look around the room. Look around the room. 95, 98, someone thought of one company. How many of you thought of Dell, as an example? Microsoft. I mean, watch this. I'm going to say a word and you make a sound to relate to it. Microsoft. Microsoft. Apple. That's a trillion dollar difference, just so you know. A trillion with a T. Apple's the first company to make it to two trillion in value. Trillion with a T. And they're near bankruptcy 25 years ago. That's the power of the brand. If you understand brands, you understand you can define the category. Search engine. How many thought Google was your hand? This is sad. Give your hands up look at the percentage of people in your Google. That, what do people say? Google it. Right. That pisses off the people in Bing. Who here promote? Who here uses Bing? Overnight. Overnight. 
And you got the habit of they were first, you got it in your vocabulary, still use it today. Same to say, hand me some Kleenex. The people that's got tissue really are upset by that. Because it isn't Kleenex, it's tissue. So you can own a category. And in real estate, you can own a category easily because you don't have to own the world. You mean you have to own the nation. You just have to own the area of your farm or whatever you like to call it these days. True? True. And you can own that very rapidly with a little bit of creativity. Wouldn't it be nice if you took thought of real estate and instantly thought of you? That would give you a little advantage or a giant advantage. How many of you had a positive impression of me before you ever came to this event? You had it from the book or tape or someone else giving you a positive impression. And you'll see the numbers are similar to code, because I've been doing it for 45 years and over-delivered. That's the only way you do it. I don't say 45 years, but you can't do it just by advertising anymore. See, and there are companies that spend fortunes doing it. Nike wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Jordan. Jordan completely changed their business. They built it various ways they grew, but they didn't explode until they got Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan literally built that business, and Michael Jordan's a billionaire, not because he played basketball, but for the shoes that he sold. That's a fact, right? So if you look around and you see where is the impact, the impact is on the brand more than anything else. Your job is to figure out how to get your brand known. How do you get your brand to be the name that people think of? I can show up anywhere in the world and 10,000 people show up anywhere I go with very little marketing because I've done this 45 years and I have a brand, I've delivered. You have to still deliver, you can't just run the app. I'll give you an example. I remember um, I got a phone call from Nike and they said, listen, their ad agency called and they said, listen, we, Nike wants to do an app with you in it. They're going to run in the Super Bowl. This is a giant thing. It's going to be a big deal. And I, I said, well, you know, I used to do infomercials. I stopped doing that. I really don't want to do that, but I'm very, I'm very appreciative. And I'm like, no, no, Tony, you're going to love this. Here's that. Let's pitch it. I said, okay. They said, Kobe Bryant, who's still alive, obviously, at the time. Kobe is coming up with this new shoe. And so the ad is, Kobe is you. He's the greatest coach in the world. He's coaching the most influential people on earth. And you're going to be one of the people he coaches. And there's Serena Williams there, he's going to be coaching. And we're going to have Richard Branson there coaching. And he goes through the list. And I go, well, half those people are my clients. Are you telling me these people signed up for this? He said, they're signed up if you're signed up. <laughs> I said, I'm going to call Richard Branson when I hang up this phone. Is he going to tell me he's in? He said, yes. He says, you're in if you're in. He said, but if you don't do it, who else are we going to put in this position? And started feeling my ego. Right? <laughs> and so I called Richard. Richard said, yeah, let's give it a go. It's going to be fun. So watch. Here's the end. Watch. This is how people traditionally try to get business. You're at the top of your games. You got prestigious awards. You're a Chinese megastar. You own outer space. You got here by accident. So what's next? Where do you go from the top? Go over the top.
work like crazy. Why? Because they associated the shoe, which is no different than Adidas or anything else, all of these celebrities. And I'm so many celebrities in the room like I've never seen. You can imagine what they spent on that app. Can you do that? The answer is no. But you can destroy them. You can destroy them if you direct, create a direct relationship, a direct brand with your community, which you can't do. So how do you do that? Let's give you five keys. Let's jump down real fast. What's the steps to do this? Throw it up on the screen for me here if you want. The first key, if you're going to really tap into the power of a brand, is you've got to understand the true power of that identity. What is the identity that will cause people to want to do business with you and can you consistently live it? But you got to understand its power. Hopefully, after these examples I've given, you understand the power. Second, throw it up there. Then you got to identify and articulate your competitive advantage. Your competitive advantage is why should I do business with you versus someone else? And that's a pretty important question. So if I just randomly walk down this aisle over here, and I walk up to somebody like this, and I say to somebody here something like, let's see here, how about, uh, how about this gentleman here, Nick? Yeah. Nick, where are you from? Give me a hand, it's Nick, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs>
but you're going to get a minute advantage over other people. If you do things other people aren't doing, you'll get a geometric advantage over other people. So one of the things we have to do that most of us aren't trained to do, because we're still working on the real estate, is what is my brand? Why should somebody buy from me versus someone else? If you can't answer that question in a convincing way, by the way, this is your team and your family, and not one person raised their head, I'm sure some of them did, I just didn't see it, but it was a small number, it was mostly crickets. So that's not like a slap at you, because you're succeeding. So it's a reminder you can succeed even without this, but if you add this to the list, you can take it to a whole different level. So I want each of you to think about how you answer that question. If I came to you, Brianna, and I said, I'm already right. First of all, give me a hand. Nick, thank you very much. Right? You know? Sorry, this one's going to look like it's not like I use Microsoft. 
And whatever it is, people have an expectation. What is the X factor? Why is it should I do business with you or someone else? Let's throw a piece of music on while you're late. Here we go. By the way, if you use a little breathe while you're doing this, some of you stop breathing. This does not help. It creates extra pressure. Some of you bend down and stop breathing. Keep breathing.
something sincere, right? Something you can deliver. Think about it differently than other people. I really want to do business with you versus someone else. What are you going to deliver? What are you going to do for me? What's the benefit to me? You're going to bring me the table.
up at 9 a.m. just to wake up, go to Starbucks and put a sign in your yard. I'm going to be up at 4 a.m. strategizing to get you where you want to be, to transition your family, to help change your life. You told me you dreamed about buying a home and painting your two-year-old daughter's bedroom pink. Guess what? That's my mission. Let's go get that house.
no matter who you are, you're going to get attacked, no matter what you do. That's the nature of social media. It's, it's an ugly place. But you'll have people jumping on and pretend. You don't say a word. They'll be crunching down the idiots that are saying things, making things up, and don't even know who you are. Or competitors, or whatever the case may be. But you got to live it. But here's what I would say. If you want to build your brand, you want to create some experiences. Because experience says more than words. So I'll give you an example. A friend of mine, Johnny, Mike Whitman, we were both, I was 18, he was 17 when I met him. I met him because I was doing some real estate offices in those days. I was doing little speeches for Jim Rohn. Powerful idea. <laughs> okay. And I was doing some speeches for Jim Rohn, helped fill the seminar, and so I met this kid. And he wasn't a realtor yet because you have to be 18 in California to sign a contract. So he was going and getting those little flyers and things and delivering them a bunch of different homes. Well, so he could just be close to the real estate business, make a little money. He literally, you know, just got his car before they were riding his bike going. But he was obsessed with real estate. And I really liked this kid. He was a driven kid. I was a kid myself. just a year older. And at one point, he finally became a realtor about a year after I knew him. And he was so excited. He lived in this place called Encino, California. It's kind of an upscale community in the San Fernando Valley of Los Angeles. And he was knocking door knocking. He was doing everything people teach to do. He got zero listings within six months. Zero sales. Zero. And he's the eat. And so he's doing things on the side, being able to pay for his career. And nothing was going. And he goes, I said, so what's the problem? He goes, well, everybody just, I think they just look at me. I look so young. They don't want to listen to me. I don't have the experience. I said, what about me? I'm coaching people that are 50 and 60 at the time when I was 18. I said, they always say, you're just a kid. And then I over-deliver and over-deliver. And they're like, you're a kid. You're a genius kid. Right? They started changing from kid to genius kid. Now they don't call me a kid anymore for some reason. I don't understand why. <laughs> anyway, the bottom line is, I said, the way I do it is with results. I do things. I don't just say things. I do, like, I got results where no one else did, and then I can market those results. Right? I said, you've got to do something that shakes up this community so they see you differently. I said, you've got to find a place to plant your flag. And the best way to do it is do something that's massive added value in the community or do a series of things that are massive added community, and you'll build and build a brand already, showing that you truly care, not by words, but by real actions. And to his credit, I one day he called me up and he goes, I think I have an idea. I said, what is it? There was a trash strike, and it was in like the sixth week, if I remember right, in the San Fernando Valley, meaning they weren't picking up people's trash. This is a high-end community. So after one week of trash witnessing, you might not notice the difference, but after four or five weeks, guess what? Cats and dogs are getting into it, spread all over the place, there's rats in some places, they've never seen rats before, and relatively wealthy people are coming home to this, and they're angry. And he goes, I have this idea. Like, what if, you know, my farm is not that big. What if I hired, like, a private trash man to come in and pick up all their trash? and take it away, and then I tell everybody I did it. I said, I love the idea except the last part. He goes, what do you mean? Don't tell people I did it. I said, don't tell anyone you did it. He goes, well, how am I going to get credit? I said, trust me, when you do something good, it'll come about eventually. But don't do it for that reason. Do it because you really want to help your community, and don't tell anybody about it, you'll still get out. But I said, but when people come to you and they realize it's you, you're going to acknowledge that you did it, don't lie. But when they want, they'll say something like, oh my god, I've got to do this again. Don't, don't. Do anything. Just tell them what you do. So guess what happens? Imagine this. You call, imagine you're one of these homeowners. You come home for six weeks in a row, trash is everywhere. It doesn't even look like your community is like a war zone. The smell is bad. Coming home is not a happy experience. And suddenly you come home and all the trash is gone. 
and you're celebratory. The trash strike is over. And then you turn on the news that night, which is all this whole bit, and they go, we're on day 37 or day 42 of the trash strike. I'm like, the trash strike's still on? Who stole my trash? <laughs> Where'd my trash go? And we came to a big mystery. Well, the mystery people started calling around, and somebody said, I saw this truck, and they called the truck, and the truck people told them that it was my equipment. They got his number and they called him up. And all of them said, hey, you know, what, what could I do for you? I should have, let me take my share. They told him, do not take the money. Right. To say, no, I, I didn't do it for that reason. I did it because I work in this area as a realtor and I want to take care of the community. And it's the one thing I could do. And I said, you can say to him, if you want to do something, or if you ever want to list your home, or if you know someone else wants to list, or you want to buy a home, or else wants to buy, please think of me. And guess what? He made $1.2 million in commissions the next three years from earning zero. He closed 95% of all homes in that community for the next four years. Uh, one million, which by the way, cost him $4,000. $4,000 investments. That's a great deal. Give it up to my president. Only when it's easy. Right? When it's easy, you do shoulds. When it's not, you don't. 
And when you don't, what do you do? You shit all over yourself, don't you? You shit, shit, shit all over yourself. So you don't want to shit all over yourself and make you feel good, right? So what we've got to do is raise the standard. In order to raise the standard, you've got to decide what you want more than anything you've done before. If you don't raise that vision of what you want, it's not going to happen. But you also got to turn it into a must and not a should. Because, like, if I grew a family together, there's five kids, and no one's making any money, and the mother gets ill and needs money for an operation, and they don't have enough insurance. One of those kids will come up with the money. Almost always. And it isn't the one necessarily that has the most money. It might be the one with the least amount of money, but for them, it's a must to take care of the mother, not a should. It's literally that way. If you want to know where your life is, it's the widest it is today, look at your must versus your shoulds. The things you're proud of, you've made the must. Things that you're not proud of, they're shoulds. How many can relate to this in some way? If you can, say I. I. And this sounds overly simplistic, but it is the secret to everything. Because when you meet the most successful people on earth, the biggest difference is their standards. When I started working years ago with Michael Jordan, I remember I said to him after this game, Michael, I said, that was amazing. I said, what makes you the best in the world? Is it God-given talent, ability, skill? Is it something you do in your head, in your mind? You're so competitive, like, what is it? And he was really cool, he goes, Tony, I can just shoot you straight. I don't have to bullshit around. I have tremendous God-given talent, a certain level of skill. But he goes, Tony, what really separates me is my standard. He goes, every day I demand more from myself than anyone else could ever expect from me. I don't compete with other people. I compete with Michael Jordan, and Michael Jordan's always getting better. And I said, that was Dr. J's philosophy. And he turned like, like almost embarrassed. He goes, how'd you know that? I said, I read his autobiography. Dr. J was the greatest athlete in the NBA of his generation. And he used to say, I demand more for myself than anybody else. And he read his piece when he was a kid and adopted the same philosophy. When you demand more from yourself than anybody else does, like if it comes in, if somebody comes out of us and says, well, that was a good session. Good. Effing good. I mean, good to me is the enemy of great. Right? I'm not looking for good, I'm looking for excellent, I'm looking for something outstanding. I won't, I won't settle for that shit. And it's not what someone else, someone else might tell oh, that's an amazing thing. I know whether it was that low. Because I know I have a different expectation than even you do in this session. So if you can bring that standard to your business, to your body, to your life, it all changes. How many of you in this room work out five days a week at least? Five days a week? Right? Put your hands up, make some noise if you do it, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, you can see it. We don't have to wonder his results speaking. 
everybody's body is different, everybody has different goals, but what I want you to get is your body is a reflection of your standards, not your metabolism. I don't care what it is. Yes, some people have a slow metabolism, but if you change what you're doing, your metabolism is going to change. Right? There is a way. And unfortunately, we live in a culture now where we keep lowering the standard, and it's gotten to where it's really unhealthy. People go on fat shaming. That's total bullshit. Now it's fat celebration. Let's put somebody in the cover of a magazine who's 100 pounds overweight and say how incredibly, you know, what is, what's the word they'll use for somebody? Just how brave they are. No, that's brave. That's not brave. That's deadly. You're going to have a heart attack. You're going to have diabetes. And we're running around like talking like that's cool shit now and I'm trying to make everybody feel good. Sometimes not feeling good is how you raise your standards. How many follow that? Right. How many of you got something in your life that was not up to your standard and it, you, you, you failed to do it, failed to, and then one day you hit the edge and it's like, no more! And you got pissed off and you changed it. Who's done this before? Say I. So life was not supposed to be praising people over what they do. That's what's happened to a generation of kids who got a participation trophy and now they wonder why they're not happy. Right? And it's not their fault. It's our fault. Everybody raised them that way. But by the way, you've got to change it now if you were raised that way. You've got to say, I'm not part of that culture. I might have been raised by that culture, but I've decided who I'm going to be now. Because when you raise the standard, everything changes. If you look around and you see anything in your life that you're happy about, it's because you raised the standard there. Or you have a higher standard than most. If there's something you're not happy about, you've not raised the standard in that area. In a relationship, if you're in a relationship where there's an unbelievable amount of love and passion, some people are in a relationship where there's a lot of love but not enough passion. Some people are in a relationship where there's not love or passion but they stay in the relationship. Why? Because some people believe, okay, love and passion is a must for me. And it doesn't matter that they have three kids and four soccer practices, they still all like bunnies with each other, love and passion. Other people have all the reasons why, because for them, love is the must, but passion is a should. It isn't the hours of the day. And the people that don't have love or passion, they're staying because they think being alone might be more painful than being with somebody that happened with. Some people are planning their escape kids get out of high school, I'm out of here. The problem is they're four. <laughs> if your relationship is not where you want it, you have to raise the standard in that area. It's only it's going to change it. It's you deciding what's a must for you. How about money? Finance is a perfect reflection. Some people have to make enough money to pay their bills. Some people have to make enough money to pay most of their bills. Some people have to make enough money to have a great lifestyle. Some people have to have the ability to do what they want, when they want, where they want, and give as much as well as to whoever they want. Whichever standard you have is what you're going to live. So if you don't like it, you got to raise it. But the only way to raise it is to shift to a must. So let me give you a little metaphor for this. Um, can I have a volunteer? A good volunteer. Oh my goodness. Okay, man. Give her a hand.
thumb and forefinger like that. Put your legs together, and when I say now, you're like, go this, and it shouldn't hit your legs. Let go. Let go. I said it shouldn't hit your legs. Okay, so clearly, that was a low standard. Let's help her increase the standard. I want you to hold the same thing with your thumb and forefinger like that. Keep those legs together. And did I have some help back here? I have something for some help? Yeah, thank you very much. I want to give her some additional motivation. <laughs> okay, now, Donica, I want you to listen carefully. When I say now, you're going to let go of that with your right thumb and forefinger. When you do, you cannot hit your legs. If you hit your legs, I will shoot you and you will die. Do you understand? Do you understand? When I say now, you must let go of your right thumb and forefinger and it must not hit your legs. Do you understand? Must not hit your legs. Do you understand? Let go!
Because they're not safe, they're not resourceful. What else could she have done? Switch hands. She's going to put it around, she's going to hand it to me. She's going to put the other hand. There are all kinds of things she can do. So when you think there's nothing, it's only because it's a should you think there's no other option. When it is a must, you will find the way. Who's with me on this? Say ah. ah. So if you're going to decide right now, stand up just for a second. Stand up just for a moment. Make a move that makes you feel strong. Make a move. Make a move.
worship. And he literally chased it. He had no idea where it was. He got those people to raise money. He went out and searched. In the first year, he found not nothing, not a squat. A year, 365 days, he worked on Christmas. The next year, they found nothing. Then he got to raise money again after two years of getting no results. And he did it. He did it again. He did this for 14 years. And then he found a half a billion dollars worth of gold. How many people would keep going after two years of nothing? Even six months of nothing? After five years of nothing? There's something amazing. He had that some different beliefs. First, we got to believe the treasure is out there. If you didn't believe that, we'd go. If you don't believe the treasure is out there, you're not going to find it. But then he also had to believe there's nothing out there, but I must and will find it. And then he got a third belief he had to have for 13 years. It would be worth it. Those beliefs will how you follow through. Here's what you do. Put yourself in a group of three real fast. Tell the person what your two goals are. Tell them why it's a must for you. What's gotten in the way? What are you going to do different? Go. What your goals are.
totally excited and certain you're going to do this, you know we need strategies, right? Yes. That's why you came here. Share the best strategies. The best way to learn is by other people's experience. Compress decades and events. Uh, but you still have to get rid of what's going to come up. Eventually, have you ever done this? Said, so go, I'm going to do X. And your brain goes, who are you kidding? Who's <laughs> had this experience before? So there's probably going to be a moment that's going to get triggered where you might lose your certainty. So we're going to do something to break that pattern before it shows up. So I'm going to teach you now real fast in two minutes how to do something called, I call it, the power of negative thinking. We're going to use your negative thinking. Here's how it's going to work. Person A is going to turn to B and C. I know some of you got a group of three. And all the time, let's put you back in a group of two real fast. Just group of two. Break off, get yourself in a group of two people real fast. Group of two. Group of two.
Kowalski's dessert. You know what it is you want. You know what's kept you from before. And now it's time to close the gap. So the next step is you gotta get the strategies. If you notice you want and you raise the standard, and you found the limitations and broken them up, then you really just gotta get the right strategies. And that's what I've done on all my programs. How can I learn from other people as much who succeeded or been through what I've been through so I can press decades into debt? So if you want to join me for the future, I'm sure they'll mention it later, but I've got an event coming up. I'm leaving one live event a year now, meaning my four-day Unleashed the Power of Internet. Coming up November 3rd through the 6th. So you can attend in person, or you can do it digitally if you want to. Either one's great, but I hope that some of you will join me there. Now, when you do all these things right, is something still going to usually interrupt us? Yes or no? Yes. Is it predictable there'll be a challenge? Yes or no? Yes. Is it predictable there'll be a challenge you won't expect? Yes or no? Yes. So, what happens when you've done everything right and this happens? Show me the Now would be the time. Hello. Just do what you're doing before I pop this up. Let it run you. 
You have to be able to do the opposite of your nature. The mind wants to find what's wrong and stack it. Have you ever overreacted to someone, your kids or a friend, and felt bad about it? Who's ever overreacted? Yeah. You say, I? I. You didn't overreact because of that moment. You overreact because it happened again! Who knows what I'm talking about here? Meaning, you've had a set of stacked experiences, and now you're overreacting because of the stacking, not because of the moment. And you look like an idiot to everybody around you. But you're the one that let the stacking happen. People stack in relationships, so they're destroyed. People stack destroy their careers. People stack about themselves and have no sense of self-esteem. Which, by the way, self-esteem does not come, I hate even the term, from people telling you you're great. People tell you you're great your whole life, and you can still feel like you're an imposter. True? People can tell you you're a total piece of crap, and you can say, I'll show you. What people say doesn't, you can't get self-esteem from what other people say. Only self-esteem is earned, earned within yourself. You earn your own self-esteem with yourself, and you do it by doing what's difficult. And when you do what's difficult over and over again, you develop inner pride and strength. And you're able to throw that ball off the top of your head and get back in the game and go crush it because everybody else is crying and telling the story of the ball and the 22 other balls that fell before that. So how do you turn it around when you feel that down? You have to stack the positive. You have to consciously flood yourself with positive experiences. So I'd like to finish, it's a way up front time, with one last experience. Please stand up. And here's what I want you to do. Make your move! is your nervous system is not aligned. 
when my friend back here from Texas got up and gave why I should buy from her from someone else, everything was aligned. You could feel her words, her body, her emotion was all giving you one message. That's why it's powerful, right? Below is what happens if you are in a state of appreciation or gratitude or love. Anytime you're grateful or appreciative, a magical thing happens. Can you see it? Yeah. Literally, the brain and the heart become aligned. They're not so jagged, and more importantly, they're almost exactly in the same place at the same moment. These are the states where you feel like you have oneness, or you have a friend or somebody, or you're walking in nature and you just feel so alive. This is when the best part of you comes out. This is like, have you ever done something and, or where you couldn't remember your own telephone number or email or something like that? Who's ever had this expression? Or how to spell a difficult word like, ah, oh, who's had this moment? <laughs> and then there's other times when you're on a roll, things flow, and something comes out of you, and you know how you do it. <clears throat> that was me, I know how I did that shit, but it's cool, right? <laughs> Who knows what I'm talking about here? Say hi. Hi. You're the same person, the only difference is your state. And when you're in this aligned state, it's very different. So, what are the two emotions that screw up most people's lives, relationships, and business? Anger and fear. Frustration is a form of anger, it's a good sense, it's a lower level. So, anger and fear are destroyed. We do the worst things in anger and fear. But when you're in a state of gratitude, you will have the antidote. Because if you're really grateful, you can't be angry. And you can't be fearful when you're grateful. So, I want to give you a little two minute exercise. So if I never see you again, I hope I can see you guys come to that, but if I don't, you can use this the rest of your life. And you'll see that it's really real. So here's how we're gonna do this. I want you just for a moment to think of some unfinished business you have. When I say unfinished business, most people have something going on in their life that they're putting off because there's so much going on they don't even think about it or deal with it. It might be something in your personal life, it might be something in your health, it might be financial, it might be in your business, it might be something you need to fire. It might be ending something, but you just, it's too stressful, so you put it off. Who here in this room has some unfinished business? Raise your hand so I can see. Right. Some unfinished business that you're just kind of putting off not dealing with. So think of that situation. And when you think of that situation, if you really focused on it and felt it, which I know most of you keep it away, on a scale from zero to 10, how much does it upset you or frustrate you? Zero to 10. How many got something that's at least a seven or above? If it's a seven or above, if you focus on it, raise your hand. If you don't, try to find something that's a seven, eight, nine, or ten. If you pick a one or two and change it, you'll be able to notice. I want you to pick something real so they can see the difference. So think about it, get a feel for it, give it a score. How many got something that's a seven, eight, or nine or above? Let me see your hands. Fantastic. Now forget about it for a second. Shake your body out. Shake it out. And here's all I want you to do. Where focus goes, energy flows. Say it. Where focus goes, energy flows. I want to take both your hands and put them on your heart. I want you to physically touch your heart. And I'd like you, if you want to, you can close your eyes. I want you to breathe into your heart. And as you focus on your heart, it's going to change these brain waves and heart waves. In two minutes or less, I'm going to show you how to do it. First, just feel the power of your heart. Feel the strength of your heart. Feel the beauty of your heart. What are you grateful your heart has guided you to do, or to give, or to enjoy? Give thanks to this heart that beats 100,000 times a day, which is love for 60,000 miles of blood vessels. That's how far your blood vessels are if you put them end to end. They go around the earth twice at the equator. Think of this heart that works when you sleep, 
Many times you never even give it any thanks. Give it some thanks, some gratitude for this beautiful life you have, for as long as indeed you live. And how about this? You didn't have to earn this heart. Something loved you enough to give you the gift of life, and it came in the form of a beating heart. Wow. So pour your love into your own heart, your thankfulness into your own heart, your gratitude into your own heart. As you're breathing in that heart, I'm going to ask you to think of three moments in your life that you feel really grateful for, one at a time. And they could be big moments, like meeting someone you fell in love with, or a friend, or a moment you had a break from a business, or the birth of a child. Or it could be a really small moment, but you're so grateful for that moment, just a special moment in your life. Think of one of those moments right now as you're touching your heart, breathing into your heart. When you think of a moment you're really grateful for, say yes. 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 Step in that moment as if you're there right now, in your body, back when it happened. Looking through your own eyes, seeing what you saw then as if you're there right now. Breathing the way you're breathing, and you're so grateful. The look on your face, you're happy, and you're so grateful. Step in and breathe it, see it, feel it, hear it like you're there. That's it. Such a beautiful moment. Such a moment of grace. Like you're grabbing a moment, and I want you to grab a moment 
you felt proud of yourself in this life. Any moment at all, could be a little moment. That was one of the ten lords of leaping in the kindergarten plan. So proud. It'd be a big moment working with the president of the state, whatever it is for you. Grab the moment you're proud of yourself, bring it and touch your heart as it does, touch your heart and say yes. And then feel that flood your body along with the gratitude. Seeing that moment, felt proud. Remembering, feeling your body like you're there. Then reach your hand out again and grab another moment you're proud of yourself. And then something little, more big. Grab, bring it in, go, yes, as it touches your heart. Your heart say, yes. Feel that one snap on top of all the others. The moment you're grateful, the moment you're proud. That's it. That's it. And grab one more, another moment when you achieve something, something a little more big, but it was really great. Bring it in and go, yes. Feel it. Stack them all together now. And then reach out and grab a sacred moment, a beautiful moment with family or friends, a loving moment with family or friends, a special moment. Grab it, bring it in, go, yes. Feel all those feelings in that moment together like they're happening again now. Reach out and grab another beautiful moment with family or friends, bring it in, go, yes. Feel them all, filling your whole body with gratitude. Pride that's earned. Love. Now think of a moment when you have something happen that was so silly or stupid it made you laugh out loud. Did you ever laugh so hard she came out your nose inappropriately during that moment? Reach out and grab a moment when there's someone else that did something that was so stupid or silly you couldn't stop laughing, or something you did yourself. Reach out and grab that funny moment, bring it in your heart, say yes. It. You feel like it's happening right now. You can feel that laughter. You can see it. Reach out and grab another funny moment, a silly moment, a different moment in your life. Reach out and grab a big heart and say yes. Yes. That's it. One more funny moment. Come on, find one more silly, crazy moment. You crack yourself up. Give the last heart. You start coughing. Go ahead, bring that in. Yes. Yes, yes, here we go. Get ready to take all those. 
If you made all the way to the end of this, congratulations. If you're interested in learning more about eXp Realty, Stacey and I would love to share with you how it's changed our lives, but we'd love to find out really what it is you're looking to do with your real estate career. Uh, are you looking to build a retirement? Are you looking to build multiple streams of cash flow? Are you looking to build leverage so you can have more free time and make more money? Yes, I said have more free time and make more money, not the other way around, make more money and have less free time. Uh, if you'd like to talk about that, we'd love to share with you what we've done. Uh, no pressure, be totally confidential, but just uh, hit us up. You'll find us on, uh, on social media and our links, of course, are on this podcast.